and welcome to the first Horton Hangout of 2017. We have revived these to bring you a frequent live Horton Hangout, which is a question and answer session from myself and my colleague, Michael Bentley. Hello. Lovely to see you as always. Something else that we want to share with you is that these Horton Hangouts are obviously live on our YouTube channel. You can watch them back at any time that suits you, but they'll also be put into podcasts for you as well. So today's questions are quite unique. Uh, Michael and I, we always hold Horton Hangouts on courses at events. Um, I'm sure some of you will have seen us do that. You may even have submitted some questions as well. And uh, recently I was at an event for the Irish Dental Association in Dublin and I had so many questions, it was unbelievable, and I didn't have time to answer them all. So I promised the delegates that the questions that I couldn't answer, I would answer on a Horton Hangout, as I knew we were going to be doing one very soon. Um, so we're going to start with those questions. We do have other questions that have been sent in, which we'll get to as well. Uh, and we're with you for the next 28, uh, 27 minutes. So are you ready? We are answering all questions in relation to the business of dentistry. Don't send us in anything else. <laughs> <laughs> the first question is this. Have you any advice for looking after people with unacknowledged but obvious issues such as mental health problems, dementia, Alzheimer's, etc.? So, Michael, do you want to start that one? Yeah, it's a very good question that's come in. And I think that mental health is becoming one of the uh, real hot topics within practice uh, recently. It's been very much on the news. People are very aware that actually pressures in people's lives are leading to different mental health problems. They're not all related to uh, dementia and Alzheimer's, but you know the mental health spectrum is absolutely vast. And I've got three clear tips really, I think. Firstly, you need to make sure that you have individual time with every single team member in the practice, whether they are the cleaner, a dental nurse, a receptionist, the dentist, hygienist, whoever you, you are in the practice, you do need 15, 20 minutes every single week with your practice manager to have a chat about how you're feeling, how the last week has been for you, what do you need my help with, um, and you know what you're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks, three weeks, whatever. And it's really important that you keep in touch with one another. I think we lose contact with people very quickly. We have a lot of corridor chats in practice, lots of surgery chats, chatting around an autoclave and a purifier. Um, and actually, that's not a good thing to do. So first of all, you need to have regular meetings. Meetings. Secondly, um, we are not mental uh, health um, experts, so it's really important that you are associated and affiliated with a good occupational health that you can talk to um, so that if you have any problems and they feel somebody might need an appointment to help support you with that uh, worker that you have in the practice, that you have that relationship built up. The occupational health that are set up in practice are very varied. Some are NHS, 
um, some are with doctors, some are with hospitals. And what I'm finding is relationships aren't very secure. And so therefore practices are not using occupational health um, because that relationship isn't there or they're unsure whether they want to pay for that relationship. So I would say mental health is really important. You have to support your team members. So you need to have that connection so you can get appropriate advice for that for your team members. And the third thing is, is really Really don't ignore warning signs if, if, if you feel that you can see any. And if somebody's had an absence from work, make sure you do a very thorough back to work interview on the very moment they walk back in practice, not three days later or a week later when it's convenient to the practice. It's all about making sure that person is able to come back to work um, at the time they step back through the door. So if they step through the door at eight o'clock and they're away yesterday, you need to have that meeting. And part of that back to work interview needs to be about welfare. Um, and you need to have a welfare chat about, are they able to be in the practice? Is everything okay at home? Are they okay in themselves? Um, and are they fit to do what you're expecting them to do in practice? It's, it's a really big question, but hopefully those tips will start to support you in practice with that very, very difficult issue. Yes, it is a difficult issue, and I think with patients as well. Um, now, obviously, we have people, we have clients from all over the UK and uh, clients in Europe as well. So legislation is different. Obviously, in England, we all know we have the CQC. In Ireland, we have the RQIA. Um, and they're really focused on mental capacity and assessing mental capacity. Um, so practices in England, Northern Ireland, should be very um, strong in that area. I'd imagine Scotland and Wales are too. However, if you are from a different country, then I would strongly recommend that you look into mental capacity training. It's not something we provide, it's not a passion area of ours, um, but there are other companies out there that can support you in assessing your patients and you know, looking at chaperones and that type of thing as well. Um, the next question is, how would you advise handling patients who are very inflexible regarding appointment scheduling? And I'm gonna go for this one because this is a big thing uh, that I love working with practices on. And one of the things that I love to do actually is to zone diaries um, for many reasons. And one of them is actually the patient experience. Patients have a fantastic experience when you're in control of your diaries. Um, if you have patients that are inflexible, demanding, I would be questioning whether they are in the right practice. I would say they're not. Other tips, however, are one, the dentist has the power. So if you do zone your diaries and patients are saying, I can't do that, I can't do this, there's a communication problem. And actually the dentist needs to say to the patient, I need you in for an hour. That will be a morning appointment between Tuesday and Thursday. Pick a morning that's best for you. Once the dentist has communicated that and they then communicate that again in front of the patient at the front desk, the patient will book that appointment. Just trust us on that because... That is what happens. If you're not zoning your diaries and you don't have um, the dentist to be able to support you there and you just have difficult patients, uh, then yes, they really have to question whether they are at the right practice. I would not be bending over backwards for people. I think, you know, you have to be very fair. Um, and, you know, once you start bending over backwards for people, they're always the people that don't appreciate it as well. So if this is a common problem in your practice, you need to bring it up at your next team meeting because solutions need to be created so that you can all work within autonomy, uh, within the systems for dealing with these people. Mike, have you got anything to add on that? 
I, I would just really echo what you said there, Phil, that diary zoning is very important, also from a financial aspect as well. You know, diaries are getting rammed with what we would call uh, lots of health appointments, which we know they need to be done in practice, but some people are spending a lot of their working weeks doing health appointments, emergencies, reviews, treatment planning, and actually not doing a lot of treatment. So when it comes to planning these larger cases, there's no time in the diary, and patients are going out um, would like liking appointment within one to two weeks they're having to wait five or six weeks because the diaries aren't planned correctly and that's producing a demanding patient because they don't want to wait five or six weeks uh, for a treatment appointment so I think you know you've got the other side of it as well definitely please excuse me one second I am a picture of health at the moment um, let's go back to uh, mental capacity because uh, I think that's really important as well that uh, people think about uh, doing the assessment for mental capacity and really capacity is just making sure that a person has the ability to make an informed decision about their treatment plan or a decision that they need to make you know within uh, your dental practice so if they can't do that that's when you need to start to involve others and also the tips that I would give around that as well are make sure that you are following data protection and that you are making sure that you are getting forms filled out that if a patient is to receive uh, in, another person is to receive information on behalf of another patient that you've got that documentation in place it's very clear on your system that that is in place so if a person phones up and says can I talk about my husband my wife you know my daughter whoever it may be that that, that it's very clear on the system that that authorization is being given and they are the person to receive that information thanks Mike uh, the next question what is the most effective method of sharing procedures and processes with all staff? Documents, training sessions, etc., especially when English is not their first language. Um, Michael and I are a huge fan of actually videoing uh, many of your procedures, particularly your clinical procedures, your decontamination procedures. And uh, Mike actually spends a lot of time with practices because he's a huge part of HR. Uh, working on their systems and the way that they're training people as well and there's some really key things that you need to take on board when training staff so I'll hand you over to Mike for him to give you his tips there. Yeah so for me I firstly I would say that um, people won't do anything if you don't actually make sure that you let the team know what's expected of them. So whether it is uh, booking an appointment on a telephone, whether it is to do with uh, sweeping up, whether it's to do with uh, locking the practice, whether it's to do with decontamination, whatever the, the job is, you need to be very clear that there is a system um, for each one of those and that people sign to say that they A, understand the system, B, they understand what's expected of them, and thirdly, how often uh, they need to repeat uh, the system that you're asking them to do so it could be a daily job it could be something weekly it could be something monthly it could be something three monthly as well so you've got to see oh we've got Monty in the background hi Monty um, hello uh, you've got we've got to decide really that how often are those systems repeated now the ones that are repeated a lot people memorize uh, and they get very good at understanding what they need to do the ones that don't get um, so frequently used 
uh, where you either need to do team training sessions or you need to make sure that the manuals are very clear with how to do that procedure. So if you it's something you've not done for a couple of months, you can reach out, grab a manual and either watch a video, listen to an audio, uh, look at some pictures and hopefully the text will lead you through how to do that uh, actual system in practice. What is important is to make systems very fun, very visual. The more you can record, the better it is. In team meetings, what I do recommend uh, teams to do now is to record your team meetings. That way, everybody hears everything um, how everybody else did. So if you've got 18 people or six people in your team and only five are there or 15 are there, whatever it may be, then you record that session and the people that are missing, they watch that session or they listen back to the same session. That way there's no you doing what I call edited highlights, which a lot of managers do because of timing. So you've missed yesterday's training, Laura. So what I'll do is I'll give you some edited highlights. Um, it will be much better for that person to be able to re-watch uh, that team training session. And then you can record that and then everybody's seen the same, so you're on the same wavelength. So I think that's the best ways uh, to go within you know, a three minute time frame. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. I love edited highlights. It's such a fantastic uh, phrase. And I think when we mention that to practices and we say, you do edited highlights and explain what that means, it's a bit of a light bulb moment, isn't it, for many people? Like, oh, yes, we do edited highlights. Um, okay, what, next question. What is the best method for handling emergencies? Um, toothache, quick looks, etc. Again, something that... <coughs> we spend a lot of time helping practices with and this really just boils down to systems you've got to have space in your diary for emergency appointments without a doubt you cannot have double bookings it's physically impossible to see two patients in the chair at once but you do need to audit your emergencies to see how many spaces you really need and when you're auditing those emergencies you need somebody clinical to be doing that audit because they actually need to look into the emergency appointment and say was it really an emergency did the patient have pain swelling um, a crown that's come off a broken front tooth or did the patient just call up because it was convenient for them because it was their day off and actually the tooth had been broken for five weeks so you really need to audit your systems to see how many spaces you need and you will find that on different days of the week you need a different number of spaces. I would say practices uh, are either one of, one of each, they either need lots of spaces on a Monday or lots on a Friday. It's a funny thing and I always say to practices, which, which one was it for you, was it the Monday or the Friday? And it really depends on your location and where you are and one thing that people always forget bank holidays so if you've had a bank holiday we've got Easter coming up guys you're going to need more spaces on the Thursday before and you're going to need more spaces on the Tuesday afterwards why create chaos and stress for everybody you need to be really proactive with emergencies and your team need to be trained to ensure they understand what an emergency actually is don't just book people in um, and they need to have again systems so they can work within those systems. So they can say to a patient, okay, it's been broken for three weeks, let me schedule an appointment later on this week uh, where the dentist can do an assessment. They are not an emergency, they shouldn't be booked an emergency appointment. And you do need to be really strict with this in your practice, especially if you are blocking time out for emergencies. Mike, do you want to add anything in there? 
Yes, the things that I would add are to do with the fact that um, each dentist needs an individual audit about their emergencies so that it's very clear actually how many emergencies dentists are actually generating because sometimes you find maybe failure in treatment or something not being completed correctly in a treatment can lead to a dental emergency appointment. So I would definitely be doing an audit for each dentist to find out how many uh, emergencies they need. Also, we do know that when patients are older, uh, you know, you've got an older list of patients, that they tend to generate more emergencies as well. So if you've got patients that are between 60 to 85 to 90, you will find that they do generate more emergencies. Um, so that's something else to uh, consider. So it might not be that a dentist, you know, is generating emergencies. It might be because of their um, age range for the emergencies. But also it's very, uh, what you need to be doing is analysing those emergencies and doing a peer review. Um, I would recommend every three months to a peer review of, of emergency appointments to find out what the emergencies are getting used for, what's happening in those emergency appointments, um, so that it's very clear to the practice that the, the reception desk are booking them in correctly. And, and if they're not, do they need more training? And secondly, what's happening in those emergency appointments and what happens when those patients have a, you know what happens to those patients after emergency appointment as well because we could say that for for me uh, i think you share the same opinion we feel that you should be uh, getting a patient out of pain and doing an appropriate treatment plan and bringing the patient back to talk about the options hopefully when they are pain-free and they're in the right place to make an informed choice about their dentistry because we know that when people are in pain they don't make good decisions absolutely yeah definitely Okay, so the next question, uh, again, interesting one. Uh, this is a clinical one. Um, how can we explain the benefits for patients? For example, they might want to start their implant treatment, but their gum health is not perfect, and they want to go ahead with the implants and not have the gum work. How do we explain the benefits of this? Now, I don't think it's really necessarily about explaining the benefits. I think you need to go back to, firstly, your examination. And you need to ensure at your examination, patients are understanding um, that their gum health isn't as it should be. So how do you communicate your BPE? Do you just shout out 333, 334 to your, uh, your assistant, your nurse in the background? The patients don't understand that. So you do need to ensure you're saying, we've divided your mouth into six areas. These are your scores and this is what the scores mean. This is a concern. So they've digested that. At the examination and then later on or on another day when you're presenting treatment you're starting again with the problems that you have found in the mouth and long term what happens if left the other thing you then have to make sure you're communicating to the patient is that unless the foundations are healthy you are not able to start any other treatment plans you've got to make sure that patients aren't leaving thinking that they can pick and choose what aspects they want it has to be very clear to them. You know, the hygienist treatment plan, the perio treatment plan is non-negotiable. <laughs> Either you have that treatment plan, um, obviously you can say no to it, but if you say no to that treatment plan, I'm not going to be able to go ahead with any of the other treatments. So you need to be very clear there with your communication. I think this type of question stems from poor communication or communication, you know, that's probably got a little bit twisted. I say that because implants are mentioned here, and when you're presenting an implant treatment plan, 
it's a massive conversation. It should never be done on the same day as the examination. Also think about perhaps breaking that down. But I would definitely say this is a communication problem and you need to review what you're saying. If you're unsure of what you're saying, you need to ask your nurse or whoever's in with you. Um, and I'd also ask the patient's permission to be recording your conversations with them so you can listen back. So you can say, oh, actually, yeah, I see why the patient's got confused here and why they think they can pick a mix what they want when they can't. So I break down your treatment presentation into health, uh, that needs uh, some priority work, that's the foundation work, that has to be completed, and then you've got the advanced treatment, which is either restorative or cosmetic or a combination of both. So I hope that helps. Uh, I do a lot a lot of work with dentists on presenting treatment plans. It's, uh, it's a real passion area for mine. We're going to move on to something completely different now, which is outstanding accounts. Uh, any tips for collecting outstanding accounts? Oh, I hate a debtor's list. Don't you, Michael? Yeah, I do hate a debtor's list. I think it's very important that you've, you're very clear about taking the payment at the right time. Um, for me, if a patient is booking uh, a suitable amount of time in the diary, they should be making a prepayment for that treatment. If they are going ahead with large treatment plans, that they uh, are, are that their loans um, are set up way in advance, so that the the terms and conditions, the fourteen days of uh, making sure uh, that that works correctly, um, is in place, and it's not somebody coming in and saying, "Oh, I want to set up uh, a loan on." you know, at the start of treatment, which is always very frustrating uh, for dental practice because there's there's no guarantee that that loan is going to go ahead or they don't back out of that loan. So I think that's really important. Brilliant. And I would also say, you know, you should have systems in place, you know, if you've got bad debts to be ringing people up. I mean, I remember once uh, Michael and I were at a practice doing a visionary day and <clears throat> there was something like £80,000 um, or whatever the currency was uh, of debt and we were absolutely shocked now there was a massive plan put into place that day and um, to get to recoup some of these funds and it happened really quickly the team were on it it was just a case of ringing these patients and getting the money back they had been allowed to not pay um, and no one was asking for the money when they were coming in and I know it sounds crazy and you think oh are people silly but in busy practice these things happen and then it becomes a huge problem for patients that uh, this is going on and on and on and you are ringing them um, but you're just not getting anywhere don't be afraid to use a debt collection agency you know the, the power of getting that letter uh, from uh, from you know a debt collection agency uh, I've worked in practice where we have used them um, it's, it's quite a worrying thing for people to get and they'll usually pay they'll ring you and pay uh, and if you are going to do that, you must have your team, your team on the front desk must be aware that the pay, that you're using a debt collection agency and who is getting these letters because your patients might ring up slightly irate. Um, so you need to make sure your team are aware and trained uh, by you in what to say so that this can be dealt with the most effective way. We don't want people screaming at us down the phone by any means.
I think it's also important to say here that we need to go back to the start of the journey as well. And that, that start of the journey is so important. So dentists need to be very clear about their fees. They need to be presenting those in surgery. The handover to the desk needs to be uh, the right handover, including, and you know, we need to settle the rest of the account today, or it's 200 pounds a day, or it's 85 pounds. You know, dentists, hygienists, therapists, you have a role to play here. You need to be very, very, uh, you need to know the fees, how much that appointment has cost. You need to confirm that with the front desk team so they take the right payment as well. Because that's another thing that I see from practice as well. It's not always the big payments. It's the little payments like not charging for an x-ray, you know, th little things like that, not charging for uh, maybe a prescription, something along those lines. And then the people at the front desk don't want to make that call because it's awkward. You know, why didn't, you know, you've taken for the examination on the day. Why didn't you take for the x-ray charge, for an example? That's a really difficult conversation to have on the desk. And I would say at least half of those move into, oh, it's okay. As a, as a gesture of goodwill, we won't charge you for that x-ray. Well, how many times does that happen in practice? You know, quite a lot, I, you know, I actually feel. So it's about getting it right on the day as well. The more you get right on the day, the more you're taking it in advance on the day. And definitely when they finish treatment, you, you take the rest of the payment, you know, for the crown or whatever it may be. Um, that's a way of doing things. And once people are into that cycle, um, you know, uh, you should have a very, very small amount of money um, on your debtors list. Yeah, and I say, you know, how do you get it right on the day? You need to start the right way. Every practice should be having a morning meeting where everyone meets together to go through the day lists. Uh, I definitely <coughs> that. That is definitely another hot and hangout question in itself. How do you do it and what do you say? But it really helps you to be proactive and plan for the day. And then all of these little things don't end up being an absolute nightmare on the front desk. And we, you know, always say, I mean, I love the front desk. <clears throat> but it is a job with a huge amount of pressure. You're dealing with everybody's lists, not just one list. So you do need to look at these areas to definitely make your life a lot happier, without a doubt. The next one's a really quick question for, uh, for me to answer, for us to answer. Can we use images of patients on the internet? Do we need permission for advertising, even if it's just their smile? And the answer is yes. Even if you're not showing a patient's face, they, it's still their picture, it's their teeth. Um, or, you know, if you're doing facial aesthetics, it's their, their cheeks or, you know, what are they called around the eyes? Crow's feet. Um, or bicularis oris. <laughs> so don't make me laugh because I'll cough. Um, no. so, <laughs> it's a technical term. Um, so what um, you need to do is you do need to have a consent form. I'd have them in the treatment rooms. I'd have them on the front desk. Uh, and yes, you need consent. Patients could rightly uh, kick off if they see their images used. So that's a quick one to answer. Right, we've got uh, around four minutes left. And uh, the next questions are really interesting. Again, um, we've got a nice mix of clinical and non-clinical today. This one, how do you deal with a patient who wishes not to return to your practice because they feel they didn't get the right treatment through the treatment that was provided. Wow. Okay. So that's yeah. a big question. <laughs> so there's obviously conversations that have gone on here because patient luckily has been very clear to you in their communication that they haven't, you know, didn't feel that they had the right treatment. They don't feel the treatment was correct. 
Uh, I really hope you've got uh, your consent processes and your notes written out very well for these type of patients. I think, you know, this situation's already happened, so what do you do now that it's actually happened, okay, rather than what you should have done, you've probably reflected on that quite well already. Um, I would be, as a principal dentist, I would be on the phone to this patient, I would be having a nice conversation with them to find out exactly what they mean in detail, and my preference would be that actually to invite them into the practice for them to come in and have this conversation face to face because it might help you to pull out some radiographs or photographs so that you can be showing the patient when you're there so i would definitely be ringing that patient as a principal dentist understanding they have a concern i wouldn't use the word complaint i'd say i understand you're concerned about the treatment that's been provided um, it's very important to me to understand more please could you come into the practice so we can have a meeting so i can understand your concerns in more detail that's definitely what I would be doing. And then from there, you really will understand what's happened from the patient's point of view. The dentist that's treated that patient, you can then speak to them thereafter. I wouldn't have them in the meeting with you. I think that's quite intimidating, to be honest. Um, but, you know, it, it's all just bound to be a breakdown in communication once again. Mike, have you got anything to add on that? Yeah, I would say from a CQC point of view that you should trigger the complaints procedure um, and that actually you do record it down, that you do actually send um, how quickly you're going to respond to it and the timelines because they need to be very clear, uh, the timelines. It also needs an event record doing um, and, you know, putting in exactly what's happened, when things were sent to the patient, when that meeting did happen, and also then the learnings from that. What, what did you learn from that? And what changes have you put in place moving forward to prevent that situation from happening again? Especially if, hopefully, with what you've said, um, that does resolve the concern for the patient and you're able to do something about it. Because if it's not resolved, then obviously it's going to keep moving forward, isn't it? And we're going to be start to evolve. You know MPS and you know GDC and all those kind of things which is where you don't want it to go so what you've said you know inviting them in absolutely uh, is, is crystal clear and the other thing I would say is is that you need to do um, an investigation work with the dentist as well and make sure you it's been very clear what the patient has said and actually you find out the responses from the dentist and if there is a nurse that's been in, uh, involved in that as well that you get their side of um you know the communication as well i think that's really important because nurses uh, are listening all the time or they should be um and a lot of them are doing the notes in practice as well you know putting them on in real time so they are also another person to um have a chat with about this type of situation but definitely definitely record everything the cqc want to see that you're acting on patient feedback and you are making effective changes um so that you're safe guarding and making your practice better moving forward yeah and you know cqc is obviously england uh, but still handling complaints it all just does need to be dealt with in that same way that's what we recommend across the board now the next question i think we've kind of answered uh, everything for the next question as well i know we've got about 30 seconds but the question was how do you deal with a patient complaint from a dental treatment so we've definitely answered that this complaint was from a dental associate we've definitely answered uh, how to deal with that um, the last thing was now the patient only wants to see the principal dentist exclamation mark 
Um, well, I'd say that's absolutely fine. You can't force the patient to keep on seeing the dentist that they're now not happy with. However, if that patient is NHS or that patient's medical card, and as a principal dentist, you don't do NHS or medical card, then you need to make that very clear. Yes, I'm happy to see you, but I'm not NHS, I'm not medical card, you will be paying privately to see me. Uh, so I hope that helps answer your questions. We're out of time for today. Wow. Um, if you enjoyed this court and hangout, keep posted on social media for our next one. It will be very soon. And uh, thank you very much for your questions. Please keep sending them in. Uh, they're great. We love them. Anything to do with the business of dentistry, we're here to answer for you. So thank you ever so much and goodbye. Bye.